Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. It's good to see our, our faces this morning. If you're new around here, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor at Strong Tower. We're glad you can be with us. Uh, we want to welcome you again that you're with us today. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen, we're going to be uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 14 through 17. And we're continuing a series we've been doing called Christianity's Biggest Questions. Christianity's Biggest Questions. And so, hear the reading of God's Word as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today with another question. How can we take the Bible Literally, how can we take the Bible literally? Let's pray before we dive into God's Word. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. You are not a God who is silent, but you are a God who has revealed Himself to us graciously, so kindly, to stoop down as we just sang and become the living Word amongst us so that we might know who you are. And so today, God, we invite you to do the same that you would come be amongst us by your spirit to change our hearts and minds more and more into the image of Christ through your word. We pray that you would get all the glory in it. In Christ's name, amen, amen. You may be seated. In 2007, A.J. Jacobs published his journey that he entitled The Year of Biblical Living. And uh, it, it's, it's this journey where he, he decided to try to live out as literally as possible every commandment in Scripture that's in the Bible. He tried to live out everything as literally as possible. And it's actually quite funny. It's, it's an interesting read. It, it's, it's funny because he's trying to do this and, and he is not a, a Christian man. He, he self-describes himself like this. He says, I'm Jewish in the way that Olive Garden is Italian. That's what he says. He says, I didn't grow up with a strong faith. It, it was kind of in the background, but it wasn't really a part of who I am. But then he got interested in the Bible. And as he started to get interested in the Bible, he said, you know what? What, what would it look like to live out every single rule as literally as I possibly could? And so he set out on this year-long journey to try to live it out. And uh, he started to you know, grow out his beard. And he, he wanted to uh, dress like Moses. And it was, it's goofy and silly. And then he would go by one by one through these, these rules and these regulations that he would find in Leviticus and things that maybe you've never read and you've been a Christian. And, and so he's going through these rules. And he gets to a part where it says to, uh, to stone the Sabbath breakers. And he decides to go to Central Park in New York and he hides behind the bushes on the Sabbath when everyone is supposed to be in worship and, and he's hiding in the bushes. And of course, he doesn't want to get arrested. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. But he picks up little tiny pebbles 
and he decides he's going to chuck the pebbles across the park and then turn the other direction and hide in the bushes. And, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. Like, he's just being goofy and silly. And so as he is reflecting, this is what he says in the book that really caught me. He says this. He says, millions of people say that they take the Bible literally, but my suspicion was that everyone's literalism consisted of picking and choosing the parts that fit their agenda. In other words, what he's saying is a strict literalism, he found, is not as common as he thought it would be. A strict literalism is not only not as common, it's actually not very helpful. Let me explain for a second. So if I were to say, you know, uh, how many of you have had your heart broken? I would say, I, I have had my heart broken, right? But if you've had your heart broken before in your life, I can almost guarantee that when your heart was broken, nobody called 911. Nobody was looking for the nearest ambulance. Nobody ran over to try to do CPR on you, right? To try to revive you back to life. Why? Because you know when I said that your heart was broken, you know what I meant. You know that I didn't literally mean the flesh in your body was being torn into pieces physically and literally, right? What I mean is it was hard for you as that relationship ended, right? It was discouraging. It was despairing, whatever. But it's a metaphor, right? That, that's the idea is it's a metaphor and yet it's still true. Right? It's still true, but the truth is communicated in a different form. Scholar Rebecca McLaughlin, who's an uh, apologist, she, she says this. She says, uh, both literal and figurative language can describe reality. We can tell lies with literal words, and we can speak truth through metaphor. Indeed, when it comes to the Bible, some of the deepest truths are metaphorically expressed. Think about it. Just think about what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the true vine. I am the door. Jesus is using metaphor. If, if you are going to be a strict literalist, you're going to miss the point of what he's actually saying. So, somehow, we forget how to read when we read the Bible. And this brings us to our, our, our uh, series. As we're walking through this series, we've been talking about uh, Christianity's hardest questions, and we come to this question that's a very common question. People say, how can you actually take the Bible literally? Right? People who are struggling with their faith, or maybe even people who've grown up in the faith and are starting to think for themselves for a little bit, and they're starting to wonder, how can I actually take the Bible literally? And here's my short answer, and then we're going to change the question. My short answer is... You can take it literally, yes and no. Here's why. When it's literal, take it literal. When it's not literal, don't. Right? We can go home, go to Mother's Day lunch, you can be good to go. It's, it's real simple, but here's the question that's underneath the question. What people are really asking and what people are really struggling with is, can I actually trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible to speak into my life, to have authority in my life over my relationships, over my marriage, over the bitterness I'm harboring towards that coworker, over the, the exhaustion and anxiety that I'm feeling as a parent? How can I trust the Bible to really speak into my life with authority when this book was written 2,000 years ago and it's got all kinds of strange things in it? 
The real question that we're asking is, how can I trust it? And in order to answer that question, we really have to find out what the Bible really is. And so that's what I want to ask today as we have a few minutes together. Uh, what is the Bible and how can we trust it? So let's look first at how it speaks. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point is the word speaks. Look at verse 16. Paul the Apostle says this, All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, Paul is writing this letter to his beloved disciple, Timothy. And Timothy has just become the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And if you ever get the opportunity to pastor, you will realize what Timothy is feeling. Timothy shows up to this church and he's all of a sudden the pastor and he realizes it looked great on the, the website. It, it looked great when they were doing the interviews. Right? It looked great when, when the elders were talking to him about, hey, we want you to come be the pastor here. And then Timothy shows up and he realizes this church is full of drama. This church is full of corruption. And it's not just the church, it's the people outside the church too. And Timothy's overwhelmed. How do I survive in this ministry? And so Paul writes a letter to his, his friend Timothy and he says to Timothy, basically, go back to the basics. And Paul roots his, uh, his advice, his counsel, his wisdom in, in this basic idea of inspiration. And what do we mean by inspiration? Paul uses very intimate language here. Hear what he says. He says, God has breathed out his word. He's breathed out his word. Right? It's in, in the scriptures, it's actually just one word. It's God breathed. And so what Paul is saying is uh, the, origin, the origins of our scriptures are not human, but they're divine, right? He's saying this, this is where it comes from. It's coming out of God. Now, how does this work? Well, the whole thing is full of mystery, right? But there are some basics we can understand from scripture. First of all, uh, we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 21, Peter helps us immensely here. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God, get this, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love that. Peter says there's two elements here. He says on the one side, you have the element of the human person. He says God speaks through these humans. And they bring to the text, they bring their culture, they bring their personality, they bring their perspective, right? If you read the Bible for yourself, you'll start to realize these are truly different authors that are giving these books to us, right? They have their own personality coming through the text, but at the same time, in some mysterious way, God is carrying along their words so that it's his word. Right? J.I. Packer says it like this. He's a theologian who, who summarizes this mystery. He says, Inspiration is comparable only to the deeper ministry or mystery of the incarnation. The Bible is both fully human and fully divine. It's incredible. To think about this, think about this. God is speaking through Scripture to you. God Himself is speaking through these people who've written the Bible. To you, it's breathed out from him. Now, here's the question you got to ask. What is he trying to say to us? What, what is he communicating to us in the scriptures? Well, the Bible is primarily communicating to us himself. That, that, that's what God is doing. I don't know if you know this about the Bible, but you are not the main character in the Bible. I am not the main character in the Bible. 
right? The, the Bible speaks to your life. It speaks to your marriage. It speaks to your, your enemies. It speaks to your job. It speaks to all the issues you're concerned about, your suffering, your pain, your unanswered prayers. It speaks to those things, but your concerns and my concerns are not the main content, the main character of the Bible. The Bible is primarily about God. It's communicating to us himself who he is as he reveals his grace for sinners, as he reveals his passion for the poor, his hope for suffering, his commitment to mercy, his infinite wisdom for all of our life, right? This is God communicating to us who he is, right? If he, if he never said to us who he was, we would never know who he was, but he has spoken. And so God speaks so we can know him. Think about it like this way. A few years ago, uh, our three daughters, they got a gift uh, from uh, their grandmother. They got a bearded dragon. Yes, there is a dragon living in our house. It's this, this big lizard thing. I don't know what you, I don't know how you describe it, but it's, it's a big lizard and he's called a bearded dragon because his neck actually turns black when he gets angry or afraid and he, and he shows off to kind of like scare you or intimidate you. And we, we uh, named him Bruce because he's named after Bruce Banner, which is the Hulk, right? Because he's this real intimidating looking thing. He's full of spikes and he, he just looks scary, but he's real soft. Like he, he's so chill. He doesn't do anything. He just kind of relaxes all the time. He's lazy. He loves to just sit back and eat vegetables. Like that's, that's all Bruce actually does. And his favorite place to do nothing is underneath his heat lamp. Because his heat lamp, as a cold-blooded animal, he loves to just absorb all the heat, all the warmth. He'll, he'll, he'll run around and do some other stuff, but he loves to be under the heat lamp. But here's the thing about his heat lamp. If he's beside the heat lamp, to the right or to the left, it doesn't actually give him any warmth. In order to receive what the heat lamp is trying to give to him, he has to be under the heat lamp. In other words, for him to receive what it's designed to give to him, he has to position himself in the proper place. Right? So it's the same way with God. When God speaks in his word, for us, it's all about position. For us, it's all about coming under the word to receive what God is saying to his people in the scriptures. In other words, if you're off to the side and you position yourself beside God's word, you're not going to receive what he's giving to you. And this is what it looks like to position yourself beside him. You've now treated God's word as if you're equal with his word. Right? You're, you're co-equals with God. If, if God says something to you, you might listen, but you're going to consider it among the other voices in your life. You're going to consider what you, you know, saw on Instagram. You're going to consider what you watched on YouTube. You're going to consider what your coworker says. You're going to consider your own thoughts. You're going to consider all of these as equal voices in your life because God's voice is just one voice beside all the others. You hear that? Here's another way. You can also position yourself above God's word where now you're not co-equals considering and negotiating with God, but now you're looking down on God's word and judging his word. And that sounds like this. Oh, well, God says that, but who's he to say that to my life? Right? I, I know he speaks into my, my sex life, but who is he to say what I'm to do with my body? Who, who is he to say what I'm supposed to do with my money? Who is God to say what I'm supposed to do to forgive that person who's harmed me? Right? We, we position ourselves now above God. 
And now we are looking down and you can't receive what the word has decided or or been designed to give you. Listen, there's a profound beauty in being under God's word. To be under is to simply and humbly receive the word. Rather than resist it, we receive it. Rather than critique it, we trust it. Rather than judge it, we rejoice in it, right? God is speaking. That's what Paul is saying. When you come to the scriptures, this is God speaking to you. Not me, God. Not you, God. Not anyone else. It's God. And this position makes your life no longer me-centered, but now it's God-centered because God gets to have the highest authority in your life. He gets to say, this is who you are, and this is who I am. He gets to determine that, right? We hear what he wants. We hear what he thinks. We hear what he feels. The Bible is more than words in a book. It's more than words on a page. It's the very heart of God speaking to his people to know him. But you have to position yourself under. You have to be in a place where you can hear it, where you can receive it. And so before we move on, I want to just ask you, do you, do you actually know him? Because what can happen in the church is you get around the Bible and, and you, can, you can be familiar with Bible stories and you can read the Bible for yourself and you can hear preachers talk and you can go to Sunday school or whatever and you still position yourself either beside it where you're trying to negotiate with God to, to see if we can get something worked out together or you're trying to position yourself above it to where you're looking down on God and until he agrees with you, you're not going to come under Do you actually know him? Because he's speaking to us. And the way you know him is coming under. The way you can finally listen and hear and receive what he's saying is to come under his word. And when you do that, listen, there's incredible benefits. And this is the second part, the word benefits. The word benefits. Look at the rest of verse 16. Paul goes on to say this. He says the word is uh, profitable. Get this, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I love this. Now, Paul, he he uses a second adjective here. So the first one to describe the word was this God-breathed word, right? He says the word is God-breathed. Now he says something else about it. He says because it's God-breathed, it's also profitable. It's profitable. The word here means useful or valuable or beneficial, or here's the best, to give one an advantage Right? He's saying the, the word of God is here to give you an advantage. God is speaking power and life and difference into your life. For what? Here's the things. There's four things. Teaching, reproof for correction, and training in righteousness. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I think it's actually just a beautiful summary of how the scripture works in our life. You see these four words, and you could categorize them really in two parts. Here, here's how I want to categorize them. There's two words of exposure and there's two words of building. Two words of exposure. So first, a reproof. Reproof is this idea that it's exposing your bad beliefs, right? All of us have bad beliefs. If you don't know you have bad beliefs, ask your best friend. You have bad beliefs. All of us. There's an exposure that happens there where you start to realize, I've believed lies. I have believed wrong theology. I've, I've, I've corrupted the gospel. I've, I've bought into lies that the enemy has given me, whatever it is. But the scripture is there to expose to you your bad beliefs, which is reproof. Now, on the opposite side uh, is not just your bad beliefs, but it's your bad behavior, 
right? And this is correction. The word correction there means to expose your bad behavior. So now your beliefs have become actions. And these actions are now turning into things like gossip and greed and selfishness and you know all the things. I'm just listing my sins. I don't know about your sins, but I'm just listing the things. These are the actions that come out of us. And so Paul says, the scripture is there for your correction. It's to expose to you the things that you didn't know were there. You didn't know you had such bad beliefs. You didn't know you had such bad behavior. And now it comes to light. Right? But now that it's come to light, here's the second part. There's two words of, of building. Right? The first one is teaching. And teaching is right there to, to encourage us to build up from the bad beliefs to give us good beliefs. Right? It's to show us, hey, this is what you were thinking, but here's how God actually thinks about that. Here, here's how the scripture forms your mind, as, as Paul says, to renew your mind, to help your, your thinking to become godly thinking. That's this idea of teaching, but not just your thinking. Again, it's your behavior. So he says, training in righteousness. I love that he says uh, it's, it's training in righteousness, right? It's not hypothesizing about righteousness. It's not philosophizing about righteousness. He's saying, no, this, this is the action-oriented nature of Scripture that I want to train you in how to live for Jesus. You see that? So there's, these, there's uh, this exposure and this building And what I love about this is it's a holistic picture of Scripture. That Scripture never exposes without building. And it never builds without exposing. You see that? It it needs both. It's required to have both. C.S. Lewis uh, had a great image for this. um, uh, That Scripture always exposes brokenness and builds beauty. He said this in Mere Christianity. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. Get this. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, now, he starts knocking down the house about in a way that that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Here it is. The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building up a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. You hear that? What he's saying is, what we think is lost, as God exposes us in our sin, as God exposes us in our brokenness, is actually profit. See, in our consumer culture, we we have this lust for comfort and ease, and we want to do whatever is the most comfortable. And, And so we equate, get this, profitable with pleasurable. We think that if it's profitable, it must be pleasurable. If it's not pleasurable, it can't be profitable. It can't be beneficial to me. There's got to be some other way. There's got to be something that would feel better and and sound better and and be easier, right? There's got to be something that would be better than this. Something with less difficulty, less complexity, less vulnerability. Because we, you and I, would rather hide in our sin than be exposed in our sin. I mean, sure, we'll, we'll share things that maybe, you know, other people share. You know, that, things that everyone shares. You know, we, oh, you know, I work too hard. 
or, uh, you know, things that make us look pretty good. It's kind of like when they ask you in the interview, you know, what are your greatest weaknesses? I try too hard. I care too much. You know, like <laughs> we're, we're willing to share things that don't make us look bad because we hate being exposed. So ask yourself, what, am I really sharing the real struggles in my life? Not only with God, but with other people. As, as I live in community with God's church, am I, am I living out my faith in a way that, that the scriptures are really being allowed to expose who I, I am? Calling out my bad beliefs, calling out my bad behaviors, exposing me in my brokenness so that I can be healed, so that I can be transformed, right? Because what's going to happen is if you, can't, if you can't deal with the exposure, you're never going to be built up, right? The word of God needs both. You, you have to have both. And so often what happens is we, we neglect one. We, we, we're not willing to go there. We're not willing to talk about the disdain and the hate that we have for that coworker or the deep-seated shame from our past that we're not dealing with or, uh, or you know, the, the struggle with doubt that we're hiding from other friends. What, whatever it may be, we're not willing to go there. And so we're struggling with transformation. But God's definition of profit is that process. This is what's profitable for your wholeness. And there's two kinds of change that happen as we do that. The first change is addressed to our legalism. right? So our legalism, legalism is the way of life where everything looks right on the outside, but on the inside it's rotten. Everything looks great on the outside. Your life looks put together, you got a decent job, you got a, a nice family, you got whatever, you're, you're making progress in, in, in your goals, whatever it may be, and, you, and your, your life is in such a way that it looks good on the outside, and so it's hard to see your sin. See, what happens in legalism is because your life is so clean, you often think things like, well, I don't really have that much to repent of. I don't really have that much to, to deal with, and so you, you can't you can't fathom that there might be something to be exposed by the scripture and then the scripture comes into your life and it exposes all the things you were unaware of. Right? It exposes your insecurities. It exposes your anxieties. It exposes your, your selfishness. It exposes your judgmentalism. It exposes your bitterness. Right? It starts to expose these things that I never knew were there. But it's the grace of God that in our legalism, where we were blind, where we couldn't see, now God says, look, here, here are the things I want to change in you. And the truth of God comes, and, and just like C.S. Lewis said, this home remodeler who, who you thought was there to just fix the, the major things. You thought he was there to just fix the leak in the roof that's causing you a problem. You thought he was there to fix the drain that's not going well, right? But then he comes in and he starts completely, radically changing the whole layout of your life. All the things you couldn't see and didn't know. But on the other side, there's a change that's addressed to our lawlessness. So the legalist is convinced they're good on their own. The lawless person believes that they'll never be good. Here's, here's how I want you to think about lawlessness. Lawlessness is really the fruit of hopelessness. When you, as a, as a lawless person, as a wild person who loves to sin boldly, really what's happened is you've, you've given up on the idea that you could actually change. You, you've so despaired over the reality that you've been exposed, 
right? You've been exposed in your sin and you realize you're a sinner and you realize, you know what, this is who I am. It is the way it is and, and I'm never going to change. So I might as well just do what I want to do. And so lawlessness is really this sense of hopelessness. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God's word is able. It's able. What Paul is saying is his word really is profitable to transform your life. It really can. And so even though you're so overwhelmed by the exposure of your sin, I want to challenge you for a moment to just think that is God's grace to you to get you to a place where you realize you can't change yourself. You can't. And for someone who can't see that yet, it's actually, you're, you're in a better place than where they are. You're in a better place to be exposed to, to know that the only hope I have is if God and his word transforms me. That's what it does. It, it, it's meant to build you up. It's meant to transform your life. So how does God do this? How does he bring beauty from this brokenness? It's through entering the brokenness himself. And this is the last point, the word saves the word saves look at verse 15 go back up to the top of the paragraph paul says this he says from childhood you speaking to timothy you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus i love this timothy what what he's saying timothy learned his faith from his mother Lois, or his mother Eunice, sorry. And his, his mother Eunice learned her faith from her mother Lois. So, you know, Mother's Day application here, the best thing you can do for your children is give them the scriptures. What Paul is saying to them is God has worked in your life, Timothy, through the sacred writings, his, his ordinary means of grace. God has worked generationally. He worked through your grandmother's life. He worked through your mother's life. And now he's worked in your life, Timothy. This is the way he works. He works through the scriptures, right? And notice what he's saying. He's saying it's not the scriptures themselves that save you, but the scriptures point you towards the one who does save you. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, right? The legalists of his day. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Right? He's saying you've missed the point. The word has now come alive. The word has come to us. In John chapter 1, we read this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, what or who is he talking about? He, he uses this language of in the beginning to kind of get our imagination to go back to Genesis chapter 1, where you see God creating the heavens and the earth, right? But now God is doing a new creation. God is doing something new in the world. And so he he brings our mind back to this imagination of what would it look like for God to recreate the world. And he says he's going to do it just like he did it in the first time through his word. Just in the beginning, he speaks and this happens. Now, in this second new creation, he's going to do it through his word. But his word is is not what it was before. It's it's with God. Even better, it was God, right? In other words, he's he's not talking about a what. He's talking about a who. He's talking about a divine person. God who spoke his, his world into existence, spoke his, his greatest word through his human flesh, this 
Jesus who's come to be fully God and fully man. God among us, right? Jesus puts flesh on God's grace and truth. Jesus, the living word, moves into our neighborhood. He moves into the company of sinners like you and me, full of wrong beliefs, full of corrupt behavior, minds twisted with evil, hearts heavy with guilt, hands dirty with shame. He came seeking not the healthy, but the sick, Jesus said. He came seeking lovers of money, proud and defensive, petty and foolish, ignorant and blind. He came declaring, I am the truth. I am the truth, right? In a world allergic and opposed to truth, yet desperately longing for it, Jesus says, I am the truth. In a cultural crisis of authority and trust, Jesus is truth. Truth lived in perfect holiness. Truth lived in harmony of word and deed. Truth that not only exposed our falsehood, but built a record of our righteousness. This is the truth. And yet Jesus is more than truth. Jesus is grace. Grace upon grace. Full of grace, abundance of grace, right? Grace from sea to sea, land to sky, day to night, because truth without grace isn't truth, and grace without truth isn't grace. Jesus is both embodied in the person of Christ, right? Jesus on the cross, he exposes our brokenness so that grace can do its work of building beauty. Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins, was exposing us. There's never been a greater exposure in all of human history than what we see on the cross. What we're seeing on the cross is Jesus saying, this is who you are. You're a sinner in great need of saving. But this is who I am. I'm the one who comes. I am the one who comes to save you because you couldn't save yourself. I am the better word that God speaks because from my blood will flow the grace that is in so much abundance you can't contain it all. This is who I am. This is the word that God is speaking to you. This is the word that God is revealing to you. This is my heart. It's a better word. It's amazing grace. Jesus makes possible the building up of who we are because he was broken down in our place. He's the living word. And so as we close, I just want to ask you, do you need his living word, this Christ who's come for us today? Because all of us need this, this abundance of grace that he's given to us, that he's offered to us in the gospel. All of us need it. Whether you've been exposed or you haven't yet been exposed, all of us are in need of that grace. And so the way the Bible describes how we receive that grace is real simple. It's repent and believe. It's repentance and faith. And what it means to have repentance and faith, we always talk about it here as you're turning away from something and you're turning towards something else. You're turning away from your sin and you're turning toward our Savior. But here's the thing. In order to repent, what it requires is that we come under Right? It requires that we go from not judging God or, or trying to negotiate with God on his side, but we come under and we say, God, you can save me and you alone. You and you alone can, can transform my life. And so I'm putting myself under you. I'm, I'm surrendering my life to you and trusting you with my salvation. And when you do that, he says, that's where there's abundance of life. That's where the word can transform and it's profitable. It's profitable to transform and make you complete, to make you whole. And so let's turn to him together for this grace. Lord Jesus, 
We are so grateful that you are the living word. The one who spoke the world into existence came down into this world. And as John said, we didn't receive you. We didn't want you. We despised you. We rejected you. And yet you did nothing but love us. You turned our, our rejection into our redemption. Or you turned our, our, uh, our sin into an opportunity for you to pour out your grace and mercy. And so, Lord, today we, we ask that you would expose us for our own good. Expose us where we need to be exposed and build us up where we need to be built up. That your gospel might transform us into the image of Christ. Help us to be people who reflect your good word in our own lives and in our community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.